Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. I am Richard Roper. We have many things you should watch and not watch coming up this weekend. That's the first most important thing we, we do. can tell you. But the second most important thing we can tell you <laughs> is who brings you this podcast, and that is AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design and development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It all drives your business success because they believe that today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. It's going to be more than okay. <laughs> Take it from me, Governorish Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> Us Democrats have had each other's backs no matter what. We're like one big Italian family. And you know what Italians like to do? Hug and kiss and run their fingers up each other's backs. <laughs> so let's all come together. Ooh. Bad choice of words there. <laughs> and get this bill passed today. Us Democrats are all in this together. Hey, we, we, we sure are, because fundamentally, we're all the same. Screwed. And live from New York, it's Before we tell you what to watch and what not to watch, Saturday Night Live has returned for the 4,000th season. Yes, exactly, Rokan. Actually, season 47. <laughs> now, you know... Remember when they celebrated 40 years of SNL and they celebrated for at least, I felt like they celebrated for about three years. They kept saying, we're celebrating, we're entering the 40th anniversary, it's the 40th anniversary. Hey, let's get everybody together. So can you imagine what they're going to do when they hit the 50th anniversary? I bet you they'll start the countdown in season 48. They, oh, yeah. They, you know, And listen, they should. It is. Uh, it has a legendary place in the history of television, and rightfully so. Uh, sketches and routines that, and characters that have lived on for three generations now. Dozens of huge stars mm -hmm. uh, made their bones with Saturday Night Live. Uh, now it is season 47. I have a question for you. Yes. I've got to, there's going to be questions. There's going to be a pop quiz here. <laughs> All right. The, uh, the number of cast members on SNL, is it uh, more Ooh. or fewer than the number of Supreme Court justices in this country? Are oh, there, you mean the history? Are, no, right now. The current season 47, are there more cast members on SNL or more justices in the United States Supreme Court? Well, it seems obvious that there would be more cast members, but there's a trick, isn't there? No, there are more cast members. <laughs> All right. We move on. <laughs> well, weren't there? Well, I mean, we're, okay. There are nine Supreme Court justices. Yes. I'm not going to give you the number yet of SNL. Now, this is primary and then featured. All right, okay. here's another one. The starting offense and the starting defense okay. for an NFL team. The okay, total that, number of players yeah, on the starting off, 22. Yeah. More or fewer than SNL season 47 cast members. Oh, I'm going to play along. There must be fewer. It's a tie. There are 22, <laughs> believe it or not. That includes, I love when they do the featured player thing because it's like, listen, you know, and Lauren Michaels is the first one to tell you that he's a genius, but he is. I mean, Lauren Michaels yeah. has, has been at the forefront of this, obviously, from the start, has an amazing eye for talent, and and continues, you know, friendships and business relationships with, with Saturday Night Live cast members from the 70s and 80s who all talk about, you know, his unique talent. But one of the things they do is oh, they, they're still they, afraid of him. I think is well, really the case. I, they should be. That's yeah. why, um, you know, in Austin Powers, Doctor Evil. But you also see some of the longest running cast members. Keenan Thompson, you know, has been with the show since uh, you know almost the beginning. But, you know what I think is interesting about Keenan Thompson? Yeah. Keenan Thompson got his own sitcom yes. last year, and he actually got an Emmy nomination for his own sitcom yes. last year, and he stays with the show because he's one of those guys like Jay Leno who <laughs> is probably spending. 
other money he's making, not that money necessarily. He's like, he's a very, seems to be, at least in terms of his own talent, very frugal, and he doesn't want yeah. to risk not being a part of there it. There are cautionary tales of actors leaving SNL and other shows and wishing they hadn't. Um, and sometimes they, when they do that, they'll kill them off, as they did with <laughs> McLean Stevenson on MASH. Um, well, the other interesting thing, Ro, is for years, you know, there would be kind of battles whether or not if someone wanted to go off and do movies. Chevy Chase wanted to do movies and, and he had a girlfriend in California. That's why he left SNL after season one when he was the breakout star. What Lauren Michaels wisely did was form production companies. So, for example, Keenan Thompson's sitcom on NBC, that's under the Lauren Michaels umbrella. When Cecily Strong wanted to shoot uh, Schmigadoon, the very funny parody series, she was off several episodes because guess what? Lauren Michaels owned that too. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like, you know, okay, you got done, uh, you know, working in my Hamptons house. Now you can work in my Hollywood Hills home, you know, yeah. all at, at great, you know, uh, benefit to the cast members. But when he's giving them the blessing to do other things, it's doing other things still within the family. It's a protection racket. And I don't know why the Department of Justice hasn't looked at it yet. <laughs> so you've got a lot of these returning regulars, but then they do, you know, so they go through this thing. And the opening, I, I tweeted this, I'll quote myself, I thought that saxophone player was going to have a heart attack because he had to keep playing through this introduction. A.D. Bryant, Michael J. And then they get to, you know, they get through the, all the main cast members and then they kind of go, and featuring, you know, like they're not on the team yet. But I will tell you this. By the way, I just knocked over some sparkling water here in the studio. We're gonna we're gonna call if you heard that noise there. We're going to keep that because this is real, man. Use so, your mask to clean it up. I'm by not the way, using my mask to clean. I that have up. another mask. Uh, that's that's all, all we right. use masks for all now right. is to clean things up and just in case there's oh, a absorbent. Uh, another kind of a hygiene problem. Actually, they're not very absorbent. I've I've, I've heard of, of people using these when they've run out of other items. Let's see. Quicker picker upper. Um, okay. So uh, James Austin Johnson was kind of the breakout row of the first episode. He did uh, Joe Biden in the opening skit. And as always, SNL made it very clear. Listen, we're going to go after, you know, any side, whether it's Republicans or Democrats. It's just not as easy to make fun of Biden. You could do certain things, but, you know, Trump was this, you know, this character that right. that kept on giving. Very three-dimensional. Um, I thought it was a pretty solid effort overall. Uh, you know, there are so many familiar regulars now. One of the things I like what they did with this premiere episode row, Owen Wilson was the host, which was surprisingly, given his long career, was the first time. And he was terrific because he, he played characters. But what they what they did, like, for the opening scene and kept doing throughout the show was they didn't have all the stunt casting they've had in recent years. They didn't say, here's Alec Baldwin, and now Tina Fey's going to drop in, and hey, Eddie Murphy's playing the cab driver, right. all which is great. John Hamm, you know, all those types of guest starring things. They're, they're going to let this cast, I think, shine. And to me, the highlight was the school board meeting. Now, we know there have been lots of questions about the school district's COVID safety policies, so we open the floor to the public. Ma'am? Hello, my name is Jane Nordling Smythe. I am concerned and I am also crazy. Let's begin. The Johnson, Johnson, and Johnson are from because of Fauci, okay? And the Fauci is only part of it, but not our T Mobile, because this, all of this, this is about Israel. Ma'am, ma'am, do you have a question about the school district's COVID policy or your child's safety? I don't have a child, and I don't live in this town. Then you should not be here. Next. Which I thought was a brilliant take on uh, the school board meetings we've seen, <laughs> where, where people have different agendas when they step right. up to the to the podium and sometimes want to talk about things that have nothing to do with COVID policies. Right, and they, they've hit on a moment which is super important because it's absolutely true. 
that the people who go to school board meetings or other kinds of public meetings are one-hit wonders. They are people who've been annoying their families for generations in the family at Thanksgiving with that one ax that they keep grinding, yeah. and then they just want to show up and tell people about it. So this is brilliant. So a lot of times, even though it, you know, whatever the agenda is, there, as you mentioned, the person... Why are the leaves falling on the sidewalks every fall? <laughs> every year I come here and say, we've got to do something about the leaves. Thank you. I want to go back to the cast here for a mm -hmm. second because yeah. they do have emergent stars, and it goes back to the brilliance of casting, and I know that Lauren Michaels has a lot to do with it, but he's also had really good talent scouts over the years yeah. to go find these people, whether they were famously in Chicago at Second City mm -hmm. or in Toronto at the Second City there or in L.A. at the Groundlings or wherever they happen to find the people, sure. I.O., places, great places like that. They really did promote to the full-time cast two of the stars that are going to be there forever. At Bowen Yang, mm -hmm. who is amazing. But Chloe Fineman is one of the most talented people I have seen in decades yeah. on this show in terms of her range and her capability. And to replace... There's always sort of the, the uh, you know, if there's a male and a female lead kind of that, you know, have always who've gotten the majority of mm -hmm. skit time or whatever it is. And, I, and they, they hate it when you call them skits. Your little uh, play, your little production. <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly. But, but, the, but the point is that, you, you know, you have these people who do it. And, and, you know, clearly Kate McKinnon has been the female lead. She will be going on to other things, mm -hmm. one would imagine. She's yeah, really already has, you know, yeah. a lot of roles. And so I think Chloe Fineman is going to be that person who jumps into that role. Melissa Villasenor, I think, is wonderful as well. I, I will say this. There's so much talent. And, you know, for a while there, uh, there was a tendency. And listen, some of these cast members became huge stars. But after Eddie Murphy, there was this trend of casting a lot of stand-up comics on SNL. And, and guys like David Spade will tell you, I didn't know what the hell he was doing at first. And even Sandler, Adam Sandler, you know, was more. they were more from the stage. You, as you mentioned now, there, I think it's gone back to, are they actors? Right. You know, do can they handle different roles? And you look at this cast, and it's so deep. The one thing I will say, there's, there's, there are some cast members that I have trouble sometimes figuring out which one is which, because there are so many, and in certain cases, there's certain physical types. There's three or four guys where I'm like, they all could play the preppy guy. They all could play uh, the foil. They all could play younger because they are very youthful looking. I will say I've come around in recent years that uh, Colin Jost and Michael Che, I think, have really found a solid rhythm. They were almost too pleased with themselves early on, and they still have that kind of rhythm, but all the anchors that have done that always have. And they did some nice tributes to Norm MacDonald uh, on the on the premiere of the season 47. And the writing, which is, you know, uh, Colin Jost is the head writer, and Jay does a lot of writing as well. The writing is really sharp in weekend update there are very few clunkers in that you know uh, maybe seven or eight minutes worth of uh, update right and they farm some of that out as well i mean there are writers all over the country who contribute to that sure. they come up with ideas and these some of these featured players a lot a lot of of snl stars came up as writers we're not even going to be on the show and some of them just were writers conan o'brien i shouldn't say just were but never really became cast members tina Fey started off as a writer right and of course john mulaney you know, who no one ever saw as a star, including himself. Mm -hmm. You know, he was just, he was a writer. He was one of the senior writers. And boom, became for the period of time before, you know, his addictions and whatever else got to him. And I know on the other side, he's going to be a gigantic star as well. Yes. Became yeah. one of the biggest names in stand-up. Seth Meyers was a writer. And 
SNL has always been a hit and miss show. When people talk about the golden age and you see all the best of Will Ferrell and the best of the 70s, well, that's the best stuff you're seeing. You know, from the very start, if you watch the shows from the very first season, there were some sketches where you could hear a pin drop in the audience and the actors knew they were bombing. You know, there's always going to be a percentage of them that don't work. It's pretty remarkable what they do every week you know famously getting together on tuesday and writing sessions and rehearsals and all that stuff and then putting on a, a fresh show within a week it's it's still you know it's, it's still pretty incredible and they've managed to stay some people say oh it's not relevant anymore actually the advertising rates are way up viewership now viewership peaked at like seven and a half million during the trump era because people tuned in to see what they were going to say about trump and it's not as high now but it still does extremely well not just on Saturday night, but of course the next morning when everybody's talking about it. And then you can go right. to YouTube and see, for example, Casey Musgraves, who performed her musical number wearing just boots with her folk guitar. And it was a tribute to Forrest Gump when Jenny played a number naked with the guitar. And they pulled that off on Saturday night. They didn't pull it off, but uh, it was it was a pretty effective musical number. She's a great talent. Yeah, it's... A place it's a showcase for your parents and grandparents to figure out who was hip five years ago. Oh, I how think dare is you. kind of the kind of the way the musical acts have always been done. But it, it you know you do find new music that way. Like the older folks, but oh, is that what the kids are listening to now? And and not that Casey Musgraves is exactly what the kids Doesn't are listening to. Adele have a last name? Is she just Adele? <laughs> but it's but it is it's a you know it's a great opportunity. Uh, for the culture to come together in its own way mm-hmm. every Saturday night. I mean, I don't see it uh, going anywhere. No. I, don't, I don't know how much longer, honestly, I, Lauren Michaels can continue to do the week-in, week-out part of it. Yeah. I had an incredible opportunity more than a decade ago to go to Saturday Night Live and mm. hang out uh, in the audience for the first half of the show and then hang out with Lauren for the back half Amazing. of the show. And watch, you know, how he prepared for the after party. And, you know, <laughs> after the whole thing had already kind of gone. And the, the, the legendarily, he's got this cork board that he would actually pin three by five cards or five by seven cards to the to the board for each sketch as they moved along. Wow. Because he would move them. It did not happen. What's really interesting about that is they do a rehearsal show right. that is two hours long, a couple hours before they actually go on. With right. a live audience and everything yes. in the same uh, studio. Separate live right. audience. You can either go to the rehearsal show, which uh-huh. a lot of the fancy people in New York go to, so they can go have dinner afterwards. Ah! And then there's the live show that the schlubs go to, like myself. At 1230 New York. At 1130 New York time. You go to the you go to that show and then you know you get out at you know one o'clock and ah, okay, you, yeah, you kind of okay. do whatever gotcha. eleven thirty ten thirty although now they do the live thing across the country so California doesn't get the tape show so it's eleven thirty in New York City right when they're actually doing it live the live so show. it's over at one a.m. Right. right and but the, but the pre-show the the rehearsal show mm-hmm. has another thirty minutes of content or in this case twenty two minutes of content okay you know to so they cut three sketches. Ooh. So the thing is, when you go to the show, you don't know, and he moves them around based on the rehearsal. This one might be now in the first half hour as opposed right. to at the end of the show. So you know right the, up to the last second. Right. You know what the first one's going to be for timing purposes. Okay. They know what that one's going to be. But after that, it all moves. 
And then that that changes the entire mechanism because you've got how you change wardrobe and all that. And Move it's, the sets it's around. military. Yeah. yeah it's, and then you have actors and writers who thought they were going to be in three <laughs> showcases and have yeah. told everybody to watch. And now they find out they're just going to be a Secret Service agent in the opening <laughs> scene with sunglasses. Right. So, Hearts are broken. A hundred percent true. Wow. It is a fascinating thing. It's it is such a unique television production and an, an incredible legacy has been created by this show it's it's really one of the most important shows in the history of american television and in terms of comedy shows probably the most important show in the history of american television yes great all right on the other side the thursday three and what not to watch but first portillo's is known for their famous chicago hot dogs with all the freshest tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun and of course their legendary chocolate cake but that's just the beginning the menu is bursting with mouth-watering varieties of charbroiled burgers, Italian beef sandwiches, cheese fries, chopped salads. Chicagoland favorite since 1963, Portillo's also has locations throughout the Middle West and in Florida, California, and Arizona. Order curbside pickup or delivery today or ship Portillo's anywhere in the United States of America by ordering at Portillo's.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L. OS. All right, Richard Roper, tell us what not to watch. I'm going to start off with a very disappointing film, given the credentials of those involved. It's a thriller called South of Heaven, and it stars Jason Sudeikis, who, of course, is riding a career high with Ted Lasso. Season two is, is reaching its uh, peak, you know, the last few episodes. And it also stars Evangeline Lilly, who's terrific. She's in Ant-Man. She was in Lost on ABC. This is a straight dramatic role for Jason Sudeikis. He plays a guy who's been in prison for 12 years for his part in an armed robbery. He finally gets out, and Evangeline Lilly is his longtime girlfriend who, during those 12 years, has gotten sick. And she's got about a year to live. She has lung cancer. So now he's got to get a job. He's got to you know, play it straight and narrow and also make things right mm-hmm. with his girlfriend who still loves him. And he has a parole officer played by uh, the great Shea Wiggum, who's been in a ton of stuff, including Boardwalk Empire. It turns out this parole officer takes advantage of all the clients he has, all these ex-cons, and makes them do his bidding, his dirty work. Yeah. Because if they don't, He'll report them for false violations and they'll be back behind bars. That's a pretty fascinating premise right there, yeah, right? Yeah, great. And it just falls apart because it goes off in different directions. And Sudeikis, you believe him as a hardened criminal who, when you push him against the wall and has to save the woman he loves, will do anything, including get that shotgun and that handgun and and get to work. But the, the plot, this is another one row where the script just, ju- just goes sideways, backwards, forward, and... 40 minutes of really, really interesting stuff, and then an hour of just rolling your eyes and saying to the screen, you got to be kidding me. So avoid <laughs> South of Heaven. It's way south of being good. Oh, no. And Jason Sudeikis is one of those guys who came out of Saturday Night Live, and you thought, okay, what is he going to go do? Yeah. And he is brilliant in Ted Lasso. And the show is brilliant in part because of him, because of his production influence on it as well. Yeah, And you could see how he'd want to take a role like this on between seasons Mm -hmm. because it's such a departure. And he does have a physicality. He's a big guy. Yeah. So you don't see him and go like, oh, give me a break. This guy survived 12 years and, you know, doing hardcore time. No, you believe it. And you believe him also as a good guy trying to do the right thing, you know, in the classic kind of anti-hero where he doesn't want to do anything wrong, but has to choose between two paths that are dark and darker. 
Okay, uh, before we get to the Thursday three, can I go yeah. back to Ted Lasso for a second? Sure. Because there's been a lot of criticism about this season. Yeah. Season two is always tough for every series when it's it, when it's when it's so loved in the first season. Right. They decided to go sort of um, in a little different for fans of this show. They you notice it was very. Uh, peppy and optimistic and it yeah. was all yes. about taking what could be a dark world of professional sports especially the premier league international sports and mm-hmm. all the characters that surround that and the money influences and all that and kind of telling this sweet little story yes around that in a way with great actors and also fish out of water because they're american football coaches yeah, they had a lot of do. fun with that right yeah. and they and they've had they've had a ton of fun but then this series this year has tried to take on some pretty serious issues of depression and substance issues and and then some i would say betrayals if you will yeah on a darker and more profound level than in the first season for sure now they've also done some things stylistically that are different than the norm for any kind of television they kind of take you out it's a little bit of the beatles white album that's going on for them right now and i I think they they would enjoy that comparison Mm. and maybe it will hold up 10 years from now i'm not sure that the core audience that they built and all the love and the affection that has been given to that show and commitment that people have to that show uh sustains this yeah, having seen all of the episodes, and I, I don't want to give away how everything uh, ends and resolves itself, and then we'll build up to the what they're saying is the final season. For about five or six episodes, it kind of felt very, very similar in tone to season one, and right. then it started taking these these dark turns. And as you mentioned, there's one episode that's like Scorsese's After Hours. I mean, it just goes <laughs> yeah. into a completely it's different wild. place. Yeah. Very ambitious stylistically, I, I thought. You know, kind of just focusing on one character in a in a show like that. I'm not a huge fan of that. And then there are a couple of plot twists that feel like the writers who are so good said we got to start manufacturing some conflicts here and some rivalries, and they feel a little manufactured to me. Yeah, not completely organic. Like you're like, really, that character would really go there, turn there yeah. so quickly. Yeah, uh, it, it's true. I mean, I I get it. I, again, I think it's still a very entertaining half hour to watch you know once it drops i'll be interested in what they do in season three to kind of come back and 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 take it in one of those two directions because they've established two different pieces of turf here yes so they have to make a decision about where they want to go i i do think and i said this before and i and i still believe it it's an antidote to the times but yes. it's also become a little bit about the zeitgeist of the times, and that's, to me, We have so many shows that already do that. I'm 100% with you on that. Yeah. Okay. So, Thursday 3, what should we be watching? I got one for you that I know you're going to want to check out. It's a documentary called Cleaning Up the Town, and it's all about the making of Ghostbusters. And it's just, <laughs> uh, it's so great. And, of course, there's a new Ooh. Ghostbusters movie coming out uh this fall and it's actually a direct sequel to the second ghostbusters movie it 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 tells you don't worry about tv specials or the most recent ghostbusters we saw but this is all about the original and they get about everybody you can imagine except for of course bill murray doesn't participate because good luck who are you going to call 
anybody because you're not going to get a hold of Bill Murray. But uh, there are you know archival interviews with the late Harold Ramis. But then you got everybody from Dan Aykroyd to Ivan Reitman to Annie Potts and many, many other of uh, the supporting players just telling amazing stories. Some of the best stuff comes from the behind the scenes people, the special effects, mm-hmm. the makeup people. You know, we're talking about the early 80s row and they, they had visual effects, but they sometimes really had a wing thing. So it's called Cleaning Up the Town. Fantastic anecdotes. One of my favorite stories Ivan Reitman tells that the late John Candy was who they wanted to cast as Louis Tully. That's the meek neighbor of Dana Barrett, who's played by Sigourney Weaver. So Rick Moranis, of course, everybody knows him. They wanted John Candy to play the role. John Candy calls up Ivan Reitman and says, I've got a great idea for my character. He should be German, and he should have two (laughs) giant German shepherds. And it'll be really funny. And Ivan Reitman's going, but... We have these dogs that are demons on the roof, and it'll be very confusing, and he just wouldn't budge. And they finally said, you know, your friend from Second City TV, Rick Moranis, would be good for this. Oh, so, man. And that's how, that's how Rick Moranis got the role. So great behind-the-scenes stories. I never would see John Candy as that No, Rick Moranis was that. perfectly cast for it. Um, and uh, Annie Potts tells great stories because she plays, you know, kind of the, you know, the classic New York receptionist and yeah. she's actually from the south and she says she couldn't get a role for years after that because oh she's too new york and she's <laughs> like i'm acting uh, it's a terrific documentary you can find it everywhere cleaning up the town it's the making of ghostbusters who are you gonna call all right them apparently got another documentary for you this one's very very different subject matter it's called 15 minutes of shame it is an HBO special on the long tradition of public shaming and canceling. Your narrator and host for this is Monica Lewinsky. Oh, boy. And as she says, I know a little bit about this. And it's fascinating, Ro, because it takes us through cancel culture, which, of course, goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and the stockades and, you know, ostracizing and cultures, you know, sending people away from villages for 10 years, all the way through, of course, modern times and they got all these experts talking about how twitter is the greatest thing and the worst thing in the world but what i found fascinating is they they take us through some individual cases you might remember the story of the guy who became famous and didn't want to become famous because he had snatched up like seventeen thousand bottles of hand sanitizer and was selling them yes. at inflated prices and the new york times put him on the front page and they had him in his garage and they said you know he bought seventeen thousand bottles of hand sanitizer right after the first covid death and they they, now we go and see this guy in his home in chattanooga he's a a veteran of iraq and afghanistan dealing with a lot of ptsd issues which is why he got into the resale game in the first place because he could work from his garage and he would buy up all types of things through the years and sell them at yes inflated prices but you know the new york times article said things like well he's selling you know for as much as 70 dollars that was actually a six-pack and he was nowhere near the biggest gouger of prices. In fact, Amazon was selling a lot of stuff at inflated prices. But once that Times Magazine, New York Times Magazine article came out, this guy's life was ruined. Death threats, people coming to his home. He, Amazon banned him from selling things. And now we pick up his story a year and a half later and see this broken man who admits that, yeah, he probably had bad timing and shouldn't have inflated the prices so much. But it's a much more nuanced story than what happened to him. And the guy, I mean, there were people on the internet saying, here's his address, go to his house. People were sending him messages, I hope you and your wife and your baby die. In fact, I might kill you because of this alleged misbehavior. So 15 minutes of shame really takes us through things and might hopefully have people think a little bit about what they say about people they don't know based on maybe one article or one report.
Matt Lauer wasn't available for this? I don't believe he was. Yeah. Very interesting. And finally. Well, we got to go. At number one is No Time to Die, which will be okay. in theaters, of course. And we've talked extensively about it. Check out our podcast just before this one. We do a deep dive. But suffice to say that Daniel Craig's fifth and final stint as James Bond is a fitting send-off. And I hope it becomes a huge international hit. I think we shouldn't have a tag day for James Bond or the Broccoli family because <laughs> this is going to be, as we talked about in the last episode, this is going to be a 100-year, 200-year mm. run for this particular character. They're going to find a way to reinvent it always and forever. You know, <laughs> you know. I was thinking, I was just watching on, on TV, I thought about Bond because I thought about Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I've seen all the different iterations of Spider-Man, especially yeah. since it's you know sort of been bifurcated by the two different companies that owned it right. most recently and uh, that had pieces of that franchise. And all of those characters, you know, Marvel's going to go on for for as long centuries. as centuries, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be the a, a need for those that that brand to take you through. Shakespeare was a very important brand that seemed to have worked. A lot of spinoffs and sequels, right? Uh, and I believe that uh, you're going to see that with the with the Bond character and all the different ways that they're going to expand. I think now that Daniel Craig is done and they're they're heading into their uh, seventh decade or is it eighth? I don't know. I can never keep that uh, straight when you do that. When you do when when you have to make that move, you you see line extension. And I think we're going to see line extension just beyond, you know, cigar lighters and cars and whiskeys mm. and things like that. I think you're going to see line extension in terms of the character because this gives you an opportunity, especially in this era. We talked about, you know, this in the last podcast, but also now that you mentioned cancel culture and people are all looking for things that meet them because of social media. No longer are people going to meet the reality. They wish the reality to come to them. True. And that's where Bond is going to be at play here, as is the Marvel Universe and everything. You can find, you know, there's a flavor for everyone. And I believe that the uh, the Broccoli, Barbara Broccoli's uh, people who are going to be taking over the franchise from her when she retires from it are going to be taking it in a lot of different directions. But it'll be very interesting to watch because, you know, it is unique. He's a unique character, but he represents a lifestyle. Yep. And so that lifestyle will be what it is. And again, also, as I said before, go watch it in the theater with an audience. For sure. For you know, sure. since, since Diamonds Are Forever, I think it was the first film I saw in the theater that was a Bond film. Wow. And it's like, I that changed my life. It does look absolutely gorgeous on the big screen. So, yes, I'm that old. But, you know, kind of. I was very young. Very young when that happened. Very young child. Yes. Uh, The Rowan Roper Podcast is being brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Our executive producers, Tim Alanius and Renee Nelson, our production director, Demita Menezes. See you next time.